It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. All right, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a special guest, a returning guest. I've had her on many times talking about true crime subjects. Her name is Roberta Glass of the True Crime Report. And tonight we're going to discuss a recent documentary that was put out by Fox Nation or Fox News at their through their paywall site. And it's on the West Memphis 3. It's titled The Furman Diaries. So this was an episode that just came out on the 24th of September, 2020. And both Roberta and I have had time to look into it and watch this um, pretty incredible 27 minutes of his, his so-called investigation into this. And so uh, I think we're both pretty outraged, but I think we're going to talk about some of the interesting aspects of what he put forward. So, Roberta, are you there? I am. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. On short notice, too. So uh, you watched this documentary. I watched well, 27 minutes. Um, and uh, what what kind of struck you about this his whole presentation can you talk about any of that what's amazing is that he fits in so many of the west memphis three's pr talking points even pr talking points that they had abandoned good point yeah so even things they don't even talk about anymore he went right back to didn't he? <laughs> he's talking about john mark Byers and teeth yeah. impressions. He hasn't yeah. been given the memo that it's no longer John Mark Byers' teeth. It's all turtles now. It's turtles right. 24. That's 2020 now. Now they're back to turtles, you know? Yeah. I mean, so many of these talking points are cyclical, you, you know, cyclical or fatty with the West right. Memphis Three, right? Right. And it leads you to believe, like, what actual real research did he did? What did he look at to come up, you know, with his analysis of the cases his conclusions you kind of wonder like what trough is he eating out of to uh regurgitate back into his documentary whether he did any research at all because when i was watching it he's clearly reading off of something and it just doesn't even look like he actually did any legwork himself to me at least i got that impression right and there's all these shots of him signing a book hand signing it what was that about i don't know 
don't I was know. like, are you signing way. your own book on this? Are you signing John Douglas's book on this? What book are you autographing? About five close-ups of him, like, autographing this book with big cursive letters. Yeah, that was weird. But, you know, the interesting thing is that he started out with so many factual inaccuracies. Like, he discredited himself to somebody who actually knows the case right at the get-go, right out of the gates. Like, he says that uh, Eccles was 16 at the time of the murders. When he was 18, he was an adult. Um, just called time. He had time in an institution. That's how vague it was. Instead yeah, of, one time. One time. one time. Right. I had time in an institution instead of there's 500 pages in the court <laughs> record of his time in mental institutions. Right. Um, and he he says that like like they didn't Miss Kelly didn't know Baldwin or Eccles at all. Like they were different. Like, and I think he even said that Miss Kelly was initially interviewed, which my understand. I mean, that was news to me. I didn't know that. Did you know that that he was yeah. interviewed before his um, confession on was it June 3rd, 1993? I, I was not familiar with that. I'm familiar of when he was brought in and confessed. Right. That's, the, that's the part that I, I, I knew about. But what's, he repeats the 72 IQ for Miss Kelly as if yeah. it's fact, yeah. as if it's not in question that he was malingering. And look, anybody who's heard Miss Kelly can clearly tell that his IQ is not 72. Well, I mean, it's just the fact that, the, you know, the IQ got deflated. It gets down to 70 because that's the legal standard for inadmissibility. So it's just such a such a convenient number to have for the defense. Right. Because then you can't count anything. he said. And he also repeated the 12 hour interview. Right. The 12 hour grueling confession. Grueling so confession. Yeah, so and you got that. too. And no mention of any of the confessions he made post-conviction, which is the most damning, to me, the most damning fact that the West Memphis Three supporters never have any answer for. Why Miss Kelly would confess so many times post-conviction when he's being coerced not to confess, when they're begging, his own lawyer's begging him, don't confess, it will mess up the appeal, and he's saying, I want something done about it. No one has given me any reason why he's wanted to do that, why he would do that, why he would go against his best interest. Yeah, nobody can because you can't. It's recorded. It's against the advice of his attorney, right? So his attorney's just begging. No. And then the attorney, like, Fogelman's there. So the prosecutors are there, even there in one of the interviews where his hand is on a Bible. So there's a tremendous amount of credence in these repeated confessions. He confessed to the cops when he was leaving after his sentencing. These are post-conviction confessions, so it's very important. I mean, and that's how you can see, and I think you can you can take a step back and look at the wide-angle view of anybody looking into the West Memphis Three or any of these other criminal cases. There's such glaring omissions. It's just incredible. Why do how, they have to omit so many facts? Why? Yeah. Why? It's a great because question. They're, because they're taking things apart and then they're recreating a new picture of the case of their own making. Okay. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, and I think he like he he has the same myth like, oh, these guys are incompetent, corrupt, you know. So like he's belittling the West Memphis Police Department, 
and they're handling Wait, they're it. They're not only incompetent. He also went to the Bob Ruff thing in that they have to solve the case. They're under pressure to solve the case right. really fast. So they'll pick up anybody that they can, and they're going to sleep peacefully at night knowing that they sentenced three innocent men. Just as long as they can go up the ranks in the police department and right. get these guys, get they these just guys. Need these, uh, these three misunderstood black clad wearing guys. He says black and clad, it, yeah. and also he—he's—the one thing I will say for Herman, he's very honest about his hatred of the South. <laughs> and he talks about Bible belts. Right. What is he? They're dumb hicks. That's what he, he said. It was an extreme hicks. Baptist, Southern Baptist town, West Memphis. But then, if you talk to Meese, Gary Meese, about that, he's like, "Well, you know, I don't know if that really played out in reality. It was kind of a lower income, a lot of African Americans. So, I'm not sure if it was that much of you know Bible believing. Maybe there, I don't know. Right. It, you know, Meredith, who I've done uh, episodes with this about, pointed out that there was a heavy metal concert just, you know, an hour and a half away that was, you know, packed. So <laughs> they weren't really sticking out. That was popular music, you know, all the music right. the West Memphis Three liked. So right. people say, well, oh, everybody that, of course yeah, their supporters go, that was an hour and a half away. And I was like thinking, well, if you want a giant concert right in the trailer park. You know, you're going to be waiting a long time for, you know, whoever, Black Sal Sabbath or Metallica to come to the West Memphis <laughs> Three's trailer park and perform. So. Yeah, and the other thing is, like, he kept saying, Furman kept saying they found nothing, no evidence, no evidence, and that, which is true. There wasn't a lot of physical evidence, but, but like, he ignored all of the first-person test, direct evidence that was in court of family seeing Eccles at the scene, of young girls hearing him say he killed three and he was going to kill two more at the softball park, all omitted. Nothing. Well, that and what I say when they bring up the no evidence, that must have been a short trial. Two trials with no evidence. Right. Imagine no how evidence. quick. There's the prosecution said here, there's we have no evidence, and the jury voted to convict. Wow. Right. Yeah, he said that directly about the Miss Kelly trial, that they didn't have anything. They had nothing to convict him on. You know, I didn't really understand juries and how seriously they take their assignment, their vow, to, until I saw the jury in the Nexium case and the way they conducted themselves. And I would watch them early in the trial come in, and I thought, well, they're not getting it. These people aren't getting what's going on. But as it went on, you could see, you know, they they were really taking it all in very fairly. Until they, you could see when they they made an opinion because it looked like there was a bad smell every time Renary or, or his lawyer came up, you know. Right. And but these juries do not aren't flippant about their role, and they really do a good job of weeding out people who are flippant and who want to go home, who can't stand it, who who need to get back to their regular lives. This is a really serious thing and a very serious burden to have, have someone's life in your hands. Right, and they, they always gloss over that fact of 24 people unanimously came to these conclusions, right? Two different and For Eccles, this was a death penalty. You know, he was given the death penalty. That is their life in, his, in the jury's hands. So, I mean, you can argue from jury to jury, but 
nobody's made any case that there was something wrong with any of these juries. That's, yeah, I think that there was supposedly some information that wasn't supposed to be uh, be in the Eccles Baldwin thing, but it, I don't. I think the appeals court said it wasn't. It wasn't. There was so know, much perfect. other evidence that it wasn't. Right? Was that yeah. something really, like that? Yeah. Oh man. So then he said. Then he forgot. I mean, he said he came up with that crazy notion that. The kids were abducted somewhere, murdered somewhere, brought somewhere, and then put in the water. And uh, whose theory it, is that? It was some kind of weird theory that was on the internet that they were put. There was one <laughs> that was they were put into some sewer. Do you remember that one? I remember there was the sewer the theory, and then they were murdered ones, there. Ninja Turtle ones. They were playing. I, know the ninja- I don't even understand how that one works. They were playing in the sewers or something. I don't even understand how. But that here's one the works. thing: he ignored the case record of the luminol that wasn't presented in evidence, but it's in the police file. Of all the pictures, where there's just a ton of blood everywhere, all the the bushes around that area, and they, they talk about the slipped off um, part of where the uh, bodies were found that looked like somebody was trying to cover up evidence. And he didn't even mention that. So he, so according to Furman, the kids were abducted. So like something totally different than the Miss Kelly confessions that they were abducted somewhere, murdered somewhere, and then brought to the park or brought to the Robin Hood Hills. With no one seeing them. Right. No one no seeing, one them. seeing them. I mean, it was almost kind of like a joke. Like I was just waiting for him to start mentioning Byers and Hobbs, but. He just mentioned them both together. So, did like, I you, miss? Did he skip Mr. Bojangles? Is yeah, that the he one? left out Bojangles. He left out the the prehistoric beasts. <laughs> well, he's you know he's picking. He's definitely picking and choosing, or whoever does his research <laughs> for him is picking and choosing stuff. But yeah. how how close is this to John Douglas's book? It's a good question. I'd I'd have to go back and remember that. I I. No, I don't know what John Douglas's theory. I think he was definitely a Hobbs Dunnett person, if I remember correctly. I got to go back and look. It's been a while, but um, that's a damn card. Very good question. Because it's clear he's watched Paradise Lost one, two, and three. Right, and so was, that's the big. I think Hush, that's his research. It seems like, yeah, yeah. and maybe listen to some Bob Ruff on top of it. I mean, it, just nothing from the other side. Yeah. And I really wonder about these all these sort of new things that are coming out now that are very supportive of the West Memphis three. There was the oxygen, all sort. What is the sudden PR push? I don't know. What's it about? Is it just a money grab or is this to start really cementing this myth in the American mind that it was losing hold and now to really re-cemented it? I don't know. I don't know why. I think that there's something very, curious about this phenomenon where these people are picking up this case but missing and omitting stuff it may i don't know why they they've come to this conclusion when there's these mountains of evidence that really everests of evidence that they're ignoring and i think it really comes back to sloppy and lazy journalism i think i think douglas and probably Furman don't even do their own research they probably have some intern who's like a young guy not legally trained and just says oh this is what i think and then they just repeat it Furman, to me, doesn't even look like 
He just looks like he's there just reading off of something. Did, did you get that impression? He says this is his favorite episode. That's what he told right. Fox in the yeah, interview. Yeah. So I want to ask you about, I'm sorry, uh, about the satanic occult element and how he presents it. Right. Well, what? he says on the outright, Eccles is involved in Wicca, right? But they never, and they, they actually, it's interesting because they do include a couple visuals that were in the court record, the, the drawing of the child sacrifice under the pentagram, right? In like a, some kind of Stonehenge thing. And then they also show the, the secret cipher language of, of Eccles, but they only talk about Wicca and then they talk about Vicki Hutchison and her kid, Aaron which I really didn't focus on because it wasn't that salient to me. It was about her, but that's a way of kind of discrediting this whole notion that we know of Eccles as a member of the OTO. He's admitted recently. He's a member of Crowley's AA. He writes Crowley. He is producing tons of book, books. His body is a basically a cult tapestry of symbols. So they leave a lot of that, that stuff out conveniently. Like right after he got out of jail, he just went right back at it. And all of his admissions, all of his admissions that, you know, I spent 20 years in in jail practicing magic. <laughs> like, that's what he was doing. And what also Eccles said is, he never says facts and evidence got me out. Magic, magic, magic. So at least they're incredible admissions that these investigators conveniently leave out. And I think it's just bad journalism. And it's also, a lar- I think, a larger kind of intellectual bias that you know these these things are not happening and if you believe that the occult is involved in things you're a lunatic and uh, a bible thumper so uh i think that that's what's involved in a lot of these guys impressions of these, is, you know, of these it, cases it's, whether it's Douglas or Furman yeah. right or Amanda Knox that's another thing that they bring up oh the prosecutor said this was a satanic that was never presented in court that this was a satanic killing Amanda Knox, but the same thing. So it's almost like a shortcut for, for saying that the prosecution prosecution and that the police all jumped to conclusions and weren't thorough and were superstitious and wrong and imagining things that weren't there. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because they make that assertion, but it took them almost a month to get arrests done, right? So, like, oh, we've got a target, but it's going to take me until June 3rd to actually get enough evidence and enough things to get a conviction. So it's a little inconsistent, because if they really rushed to judgment, they would have arrested somebody within 48 hours or something like that, don't you think? Right. And with Jesse Miss Kelly, all the circumstances where people were coming into the police and say, hey, look, I was wrestling with him. And then they had to look into it and find out they were wrong. Sorry, wrong day. They were they were they weren't saying, go away. We got the right guy. We're not going to look into it with Jesse Miss Kelly. They were looking into it when people were coming in. So what ha- what ha- either you're rushing and you don't care whether you got the right guy or not and you know it, it, and he's even hinting that they know they have the wrong guy they just need to close the case right yeah no it's incredible <laughs> there's so many factors he says that Hobbs was unaccounted for from 10:30 to 1:30 which is basically false based upon other people who were there buyers where he's with Hobbs where they're going out searching with them then they come back you know, it's pretty incredible that they, he could get away with that, too. 
Oh, Hobbs. But now he has a double suspect. I like how he works in both of them. Yeah, he works no, in John no. Mark Byers and Hobbs were two people he'd look into. Strangely, right. the two people that, that Jason Baldwin and Damien Echols were 99.9% sure that, that they did it at one time. They were not, well, at one time they were 99.9% sure that it was John Mark Byers right. and then now they're sure it's Hobbs. Yeah, and then he switch. says it, and he talks about the DNA belonging to Hobbs, matching Hobbs right. and the laces of the thing that got them out. Well, and he that says Arkansas, it, he, yeah, he says it was certainty though. That's Hobbs's hair. It's never right. been proven. Never been proven, and the rest of the DNA was never uh, handed over, including that. It's incredible. Yeah, so there, matched, he's just repeating it. Yeah, he's repeating the bad stuff, just like you said. Not just Terry Hobbs. I wonder, and he also says something that just really enraged me. He said, these, I'm not sure if he was talking about the prosecutors or, or the investigators. They never went to, they never read the autopsy. They never went to court. What no, about no. you, Furman? You never, you never read the, obviously never read the court transcripts. And you never read the autopsy. Because you want to be talking about teeth prints. Yeah, no, that was weird. Like the teeth print stuff that's been discredited. And then he like some of the injuries were because somebody was dragging the kids through the brush. And I think if I remember, he like accounted the damage to the kids genitals, buyers kids genitals, I think was due to dragging through the brush. Dragging through the brush and also saying that John Mark. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Iris hit his kid on his fanny. And that, and they, they, they all just beat their kids. So that's why, because they were just such religious, fanatic, hick, dumb, Bible belt people that they were all beating their kids. And it wasn't the West Memphis Three. Yeah. And what about, I mean, what about all the rest of the evidence? He says no murder weapon. Can we talk about Baldwin, right. the Baldwin Lake Knife? Yes. I mean, there's the Lake Knife. So what's going on with that? They found the sticks, right? Some of the kids, I mean, he, he admits that one of the kids died from having his like skull fractured, right? But then they they also found all these weird walking sticks, and all three of them were known to walk around wearing staffs or staves or whatever. So it's a potential that those were some of the other things that were used in the crime. Can I, I think go back to the satanic so panic thing for just yeah, one moment with Vicki Hutchinson? She says that she's going to be a mole and infiltrate herself and pretend that she's interested in the occult. And she says she goes with Damien Eccles and he takes her to, what's the word for the witches? That's that. That's that. Okay. 
But if he's not into the occult, or is that just a Wicca ceremony? So is that passable? I think it's within that kind of witch thing they call it an espat, yeah. So, so it's passable? So is he into the occult or not into the occult? And how is Satanism so far? Can you explain Satanism and Wicca and the connection between the two? Well, that's a, that's a long, whole other interview. But, you know, generally you can say Satanism and then it has all these kind of subgroups. But Wicca is a subgroup that came out of, you know, two guys. I would say it was Alex Sanders and uh, another guy who was actually an OTO member. Uh, Gardner, both guys from the UK, who kind of just built up this kind of new religion called the Wicca or Wise One, and uh, that was really the foundation of, of the, what the Wiccan practices. And actually, yeah, it goes back through Crowley. Gardner admitted that he took some of Crowley's rituals and invented them, but uh, yeah, so all that Wiccan. What is, I think Eccles wanted when he was in jail, he wanted this one book, the Encyclopedic encyclopedia of wicker or something like that but uh so that's kind of what they imputed on them but they left out all the other elements of satan what satanic groups the oto aaa all kinds of stuff so um, he says that he was prosecuted for his love and knowledge of crowley right that's what damien eccles says so he he's disagreeing with mark Furman there right I mean, Mark Furman I, says it's right, mistaken, right. right? It's mistaken. It's mistaken, right? But Satanic that's right. right. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. He's agreeing with Eccles, <laughs> but he's but he's saying it in the context that it was misapplied. But Eccles is saying it's not misapplied. That's why I was right. Possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a disaster. <laughs> that whole thing is a disaster. Wow. It's an embarrassment for Fox. It's an embarrassment for Furman. It's really bad. It's, it's, it, it just kept saying think? they found nothing. They found nothing. And it's almost like something that they repeated all the times when I was looking into the West Memphis Three, is people would repeat this axiom. There's no evidence. There's no evidence. There's no evidence. It's not true. There's tons of evidence. There's not. It's not a great open and shut case, but there's tons of evidence. They were involved. Sorry. I don't think there's ever been no evidence on any trial, any trial transcripts that I've ever read. Yeah. You know the amount of work it is to to, to actually go to trial. Do you know how many cases don't go to trial because they don't I feel the it's evidence a huge is percentage. right yeah. sufficient right. enough? How many people skate away with crimes, including murder? <laughs> oh, it's very unusual. So um. it's just amazing, and he says. Can we talk about the way he presents the Alfred plea is, is just classic? Yeah. All right. So what does he do? You tell me he says something about the Alfred, like you can, it's a, he kind of avoids saying it's a guilty plea, doesn't he? He, he takes a sigh because he doesn't want to say it's a guilty plea. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm going to have to explain this inconvenient fact that they pled guilty. And that they're twice convicted triple child murders. I'm gonna have to explain this. So he says this like long big sigh before he's like the Alfred plea, and he kind of screws up his face. The Alfred plea is this plea where you admit that the case is overwhelming. He uses the word over <laughs> overwhelming amount of evidence, but you still maintain your innocence. And then he gives all the same PR talking points about the reason Arkansas doesn't want to admit, doesn't want to look for the real killers. 
They all sleep great at night knowing that their child murders walking who has never been found and that these guys did these terrible long stretches in prison, one on death row for crime they didn't admit. And that they also don't want to admit, Arkansas doesn't want to admit, that they falsely convicted criminals in their state. They don't want to admit that that's possible. They're so proud. So brazen. William Ramsey's so proud. It's incredible because you can easily get the plea agreement from August 2011 and read it. And just you have to sign on the line that is dotted that says the state has enough evidence to convict me of first degree murder. And I am signing it here. And these guys had the best lawyers available, the best appellate attorneys, everything like that. It was not some kind of court court appointed attorney. They had the best they they could buy. They They had 20 times OJ's money to buy every great attorney, every great appellate attorney, every great expert, and the best they could come up with is a guilty plea. That okay. will tell you how rock solid that case, to those two cases were. Not no evidence, because yeah. if there's no evidence, you, they would have been out. They wouldn't have to plead guilty. They would have been getting their exoneration money, doing the Innocence Project tours, you know, all the other stuff that goes with it, getting an exoneration. Yeah, and it's funny to to see Furman. I think he used the term sloppy, but his whole inquiry into the West Memphis Three is the definition of sloppy. Like just slovenly forgetting elements. It's bad. Like I, I, I feel sorry for. I feel like embarrassed for Furman. It's terrible. What do you think? I mean, uh, what was going on in my mind was: is this a D minus? Does he get? Does he get like a, a little point for just like like you did in class for showing up? Or was it so bad that you have to give him an F because it's so factually inaccurate? That was yeah, what was going no, through my mind. That's interesting. I have to say F because <laughs> he like he like went backwards in the understanding of the West Memphis Three and made Byers and Hobbs look guilty. Like not not even Eccles and Baldwin could do that. So he's actually he's actually confused. <laughs> This is such an embarrassment. Is this the biggest piece of turd ever dropped on the West Memphis Three case in history? That's my my other question. And I think that their their attempt at gravitas was was Furman writing in that book in his cursive. I think that was their attempt to kind of garner some type of legitimacy. It's so. It's terrible. I mean, don't you think it's terrible? <laughs> I give him, um, I give him a D minus for keeping it brief for brevity. Oh, there you go. <laughs> for brevity. Yeah, you're much more generous than I am. <laughs> that is yeah. because it's not. I mean, do you think Bob? Ruff, I really thought Bob Ruff did the worst job ever on this, but yeah, you know, I think he out Bob out Ruffed Bob Ruff <laughs> because. Yeah. I mean, you have a point, though. Like, Bob Ruff said 70 hours of nonsense and, you know, could literally, like, cure insomnia with his recordings. But this, you're right, the briefness of Furman, that's a, that's in the plus column for this yeah. whole West I Memphis. I give him a D minus. You can give him an F. I give him a D minus for it's this. So the, the, you know what bothers you is just the factual inaccuracies, like simple facts. You have to get all the facts right, and you just—they're just guys that just aren't getting the facts right. 
They're yeah, just leaving out 500 pages of an exhibit 500 from his own defense for his death penalty defense and his psychological record and all that stuff. They, you know, it's just like, whoa. What's amazing is that I remember getting interested in this case when the West Memphis Three was totally denying that that Eccles was interested in Crowley interested in the occult and they would argue with you till they were blue in the face that he was a Buddhist and that William Ramsey was crazy and that he was a conspiracy theorist and he didn't know what he was talking about. Clearly since he's gotten released from prison and devoted his entire life to the occult, I would call that a vindication of, of the thesis of the book, the vindication of your research. And now when it's brought up, it just doesn't matter. But the other thing that you used to talk about is how these points are repeated and it's almost like a form of mind control. There was no evidence. There was no evidence. Black t-shirts, heavy metal music, you know. Convicted for a crime they didn't commit. Commit. It's like almost every article or statement is, here's Damien Eccles convicted for a crime he didn't commit. So they have their little blurbs and their little slogans, much like any cult group does or a political group. Easily digestible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a mind control. I mean, Eccles wrote that book Mind Magic. I have yet to see it yet, but yeah, I mean, I think that in from his side, I think he's engaged in manipulating people much more than they're willing to admit. Isn't it amazing? I just uh, amazed that Mark Furman that is so proud of his work that he just creates yeah. a total crap sandwich and it's like, oh, this is the great... It's like this someone who's terrible at cooking. Uh, Have you ever had someone cook for you who's really yes. terrible but thinks they're great? And they're like, this yes. is amazing. Isn't this incredible? Yeah, it's so <laughs> Something true. Something like that. That's uh, a great do, analogy. Do you think that he thought that he could just slap this together? That is it just too hard for people to believe that, they, that someone would have spoken up if they got it wrong? I mean, Clearly, we've all been speaking up, but we don't have the platforms that HBO does and other people do. I mean, is he just unaware of the other side of this? Or does he just think it's uh, just everybody agrees that this is the way it is? Right. That's an excellent question. Those are great questions, because wouldn't you say like a fair, objective view would include pro and con? So just like, oh, so these are the people who actually think guilty means guilty and things like that. Like, but there's just so much left out. Like these guys haven't done squat since they got out in 2011 to find the so-called guilty party. They've not, they haven't been burning with, you know, righteous indignation and trying to find somebody else. They've just insinuated and repeated stuff that Berman read. I thought it was very interesting, just this whole body language. And if anybody's, I wouldn't encourage anyone to watch this, but out of curiosity, if they really want to watch this, uh, this, this piece of work, really look at his body language when he starts to talk about the Alfred Lee and just really look at how uncomfortable he is when he has to present that to the audience. And that has to be the, I was very interested because it looks like the one thing that bothered him was that they pled guilty. He knows it's a guilty plea trying to sort of finesse it, but he knows it's a guilty plea. Yeah, even as a co- even as a pl- ex-police officer, right? Like, it's it must be troubling for him. Like, they are still guilty. They still are under probation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, do we cover it all? I mean, that's, I, I know, I, 
I didn't. I that's ne- oh, that they never have to look for the murder. I've already said that. I think I, I have. I think I covered everything in my my notes. Let me go back to my notes. Let's see. Um. Yeah, I mean, he goes through the teeth thing. Mark Byers taking his teeth out, and then he says, "I think he says summation was the crime is what the state of Arkansas did." So he's based blaming the state of Arkansas for the bogus pro- prosecution. Um. Yeah, but yeah, it's uh. I think I covered all the factual inaccuracies. If people want to see a, you know, a test case of somebody not doing a good job, I would suggest you watch this. <laughs> what? Okay. And, so and like, you made, yeah, you made a good point too. It's like, what else has he got wrong? Same thing with John Douglas. Because if he gets the West Memphis Three, something like this bad, and this is his fifth season of the Furman Diaries, so I'm afraid to go back and look through his other uh, inquiries. Right, Martha Moxley's his big claim. I mean, his big claim to fame and the way he redeemed himself after the OJ case. And now, what after watching this, it puts the, his whole theory into question. And I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know much about that case. But anyone who could present this and say it's his favorite thing, his favorite episode, this yeah. makes me wonder about the thoroughness of his work. Yeah, good, good statement. I, 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 you know, I'm just wondering who's like who else is producing this or who else is working with Furman, where he got his information. I have one more question for you. Okay. What do you okay. think? So I was looking into Sacco and Vanzetti. Uh huh. I think I've explained to you why, and I found one book talking about their guilt from a guilty angle. It's really old book, you know, and I ordered it. And everything else is basically the myth is cemented that this was an anti-immigrant prosecution. They were innocent, blah, 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 blah. So that myth is cemented in, in, in America now. What do you think the benefit is of the West Memphis Three myth? I think I th- it's it's good. It's kind of like, I think it's very satisfying to the individual. I think they like the story of you know, people getting justice. I think that's a very important element of the West Memphis Three myth is that, oh, these poor people endured this and came out the other side. And so I think that, that that's very satisfying to the average, you know, it's kind of like a daytime talk show victory story, I think. So I think that that's important. And, the, and also the individual, the, the loner, the outcast right. triumphant, right, against the man. The man, yeah. So this big edifice, this big edifice was up against him and he was misunderstood and just like Wicca. But, you know, they never got into the dark stuff where he's threatening to kill people and stalking people. All the reports of him stalking this person at their house, like this girl at home who was terrified. Do you remember that story? Yes. The stomping on the dog. There's all kinds of statements in, in, in the, in the case files that are chilling. Dangerous. Chills. Yeah. Putting, you know, killing cats, maiming cats via firecracker. I mean, just uh, you could go yeah. on and on. These are not people you want to be around. These aren't people you want to have watch your wallet while you go to the bathroom. Even, no. you know, not even. Oh, not even. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, there's a lot of disturbing stuff in those case files. Really, really disturbing stuff that they just conveniently omit from the narrative. I mean, that's the whole thing. Is that myth is like, oh, he's just misunderstood. Not very dark and very crazy and unwell, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's like a little turn on that. 
that's easily palatable for the public, I think. Yeah. I mean, don't you think these PR guys, Sowery and all this, have already kind of te- tested this with uh, um, test groups and stuff like that to see what the best approach is by to turn people? You know, don't you think that that's that was probably done in this case is they got a pro to really figure out what story people wanted to hear? Yeah, I, that, you're probably right. And, and Surrey is very interesting because he owns FalseConfession.com. He owns a million of uh, anything in the wrongful conviction movement. He has a website. It all goes back to Surrey Communications. And uh, I, if you look at his Twitter, he's you know making shout outs to the woman at 2020. I'm forgetting her name. Um, she did the West Memphis three. Aaron, Aaron, whatever was Moriarty. Yeah. Moriarty. She's the one you go to if you want the innocence narrative, making shout outs to her and what a great reporter. So he's got, I think people forget. And we were talking about yesterday. It's like, you know, there's, this is a whole crew and a whole cast of characters that goes experts that go in from one case out to another. Dr. Ofshi, the false confession expert. He's in the Marty Tankliff case. He's in uh, Jesse McKelly's case, although it wasn't presented to the jury. But still, you know, it goes in and out. Smith was in this case. They all know who to call. They have a Rolodex for who to call when when they want to create their talking points of innocence, when they want to put together their PR presentation. They know who to call. They have their experts. Yeah, yeah. And it's a sad thing to see sort of experts who, who who maybe started out well, hit hard times, and then re- really start getting pulled in by the money. Yeah, because I think Werner Spitz was a legitimate expert in, in certain elements of forensics. I think that he has written a very important book, but to see him, you know, shilling for the West Memphis Three is unpleasant. And the other thing is they also show... Vicki Hutchinson's recantation. You don't know what happened to create these recantations. You don't know what's offered. You, it's so, you don't know what happened off camera. And I really encourage everyone, I'm like a broken record with this, but to look at the documentary Murder in the Park just because you can see a visual illustration of some of the things that happened off camera to create these narratives. I know you Very can read point. about them, but there's something about a visual of it that I think is really uh, effective. That's a great way to end it. Do you have anything else to add, Roberta? No. I, thank you so much yeah, for the, I, the belly laughs. I really needed <laughs> it. That was good. But, uh, again, everybody, go check out Roberta Glass, YouTube channel, True, true Crime Report. Go subscribe there. You're going to get some of the best true crime analysis out there, fact-based, objective, dispassionate, you know, unbought, too. So highly, uh, highly recommend it. Roberta Glass, thanks so much. Still there? Yeah. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.